0: I want to welcome you here, especially those of you that are here for the very first time. I met a few of you here this morning. Welcome to all of you that are watching online. We're grateful that you're here. We started a a brand new series last weekend. Pastor uh, Joel kicked it off. We've entitled it Grace Transformed. And if you weren't able to be here, you weren't able to listen to it online, let me encourage you, uh, especially if this is your church, you're a member of this church you're a part of this family it's really important that at some moment this next week you take you know 35 minutes out of your life sit down you your spouse your family whoever it might be and listen to the message you don't want to miss the kickoff to this message we had a great moment at the end where we all came up and got these grace Uh, uh, steaks. In fact, uh, here's a picture of the one up at my place. Uh, My wife is in front of it. I think we got a picture. Yeah, right there. I don't know why it's not coming up on the jumbotrons, but hopefully you guys can. There it is. There it is. And of course, my wife color-coordinated her outfit (laughs) to go with the steak. I didn't, and that's why I'm not in the picture. I'm taking the picture. But uh, this stake says something about the individuals that live inside of that building. It tells the people in my neighborhood, or at least it's a, it's a way to influence people, that says this, this is a home where the grace of God has transformed the individuals that are inside this home. But it's also a reminder to all of us that we are to somehow be instruments that share the grace of God with our actual neighbors. And it's been kind of fun. I've had, um, because people know, you know, I work here and I have access, I guess, to all these steaks. I've had, I can't tell you how many people have knocked on the door, Pastor Rick, I was wondering, I wasn't there last week. Can I take your steak? <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, go ahead. And so then the next day, you know, I'll go to work and put another one in, and sure enough, (laughs) hey, Pastor Rick, hey, listen, we weren't there. Can can we have your steak? Yeah, take our steak, you know, my steak, and so um, anyway, this is all we have left, okay? So if you were not here last weekend, please come after the gathering's over with and pick up one of your gray steaks and put it somewhere in your yard, or if you're in an apartment building or whatever, put it someplace where people can go, huh? What is that? But it's a reminder to you that it was the grace of God that transformed your life and that you're asking that somehow, way, maybe you'll be an instrument that God could use to help transform the life of, of somebody else. So I want to begin uh, by uh, sharing with you this interesting thought from our brother Paul. He uh, was writing to a group of, of Christians He was writing to a church, much like this one, it was in the city of Corinth, and he writes this. He says to us, members of Big Valley Grace, or members of the church at Corinth in its context, he says, hey, I I want you to examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. That's weird. He's writing to a bunch of church people. He's saying, Hey, I want you to examine yourselves. I I want you to see whether you're in the faith or not. Don't you realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you, you fail the test. Paul was concerned that there were people who were coming to church, they were members of a church, they were members of Big Valley Grace. And they sang all the right songs, and they went through the membership class, and they gave an offering, and they did all these spiritual things, but in reality, they really weren't believers. And he's saying, look, check out your life. If indeed Jesus Christ is a part of your life, if the Holy Spirit is in you, it will make a difference in how you you live and how you think, what's important to you, what's not important to you. And so I would say, you know, when you come here on a weekend, what a great moment for all of you to say, you know what, I'm going to examine my life right now. This was important to God, that's why he put it on the heart of Paul, to write it so that 2,000 years later we could look at it. God doesn't want anybody to, to somehow miss out on glory because they thought they were a believer, but they really weren't. And so use this time to in fact, every weekend, just to say, God, I want, to, I want you to examine my life. Men, I, I specifically want, to, want you to pay attention today, not that ladies, I, you don't need to pay attention, but I, but I really want men to pay attention. I'm really concerned about the condition of men in the American church. They know very little about theological things, and it's troubling to me. So this ought to be a time where, man, as a man, you you come and you're listening and you're learning so that you know theology. Everybody who names the name of Christ is to be a theologian. Maybe not in the classical sense, but everybody's to be someone who studies the scriptures and knows the scriptures. That's what God wants from his people. And so if you have your journal with you, there's a page right there where we begin with today's sermon and you ought to to take notes. If you didn't bring your journal, bring it next week. Make this this time count. Make this a, a time when you as a man Say, I'm gonna learn about the things of the Lord. I wanna know the things of the Lord. I wanna be able to answer people's questions. I wanna be able to answer my wife's questions. I wanna be able to answer my children's questions. I wanna be able to answer my grandchildren's questions about the things of the faith. So I'll start with this question. How is a person... Saved from the consequence of their sins? That's a question that every man who names the name of Christ should be able to answer. Any believer, man or woman, should be able to answer that question. How are we um, saved from the consequences of our sin? What I want to do is I, before I answer the question, is I want to just give everybody a little theological underpinning here, if you you will, okay? I want to just share with you a couple of important things. Number one, you were created in God's image. In Genesis chapter one, it says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image and in our likeness. and In fact, right here in the first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, we actually see this concept of the Trinity. The word Trinity isn't anywhere in the Bible. You don't find it. But the concept is there. Let us, who's the us, make man in our, who's the our? You're seeing a conversation between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity is having a conversation. Let us make man according to our image. The Latin phrase is imago Dei. You're made in the very image of God. Yes, God created everything. He created goats and, and lizards and porcupines and eagles and seals and cockroaches. He created everything, but they weren't created imago Day. They weren't created in the image of God. They were just created by God. But when he got to Adam and Eve, when he got to human life, that was different. Human life was actually made in the very image and likeness of God. That's what makes human life way more valuable than a cockroach or a trout or a, you know, a dove or whatever. We call it the sanctity of human life. It's sanctified, it's set apart, it's, it's not like any other thing that God created. We have been created in the very image of God. And one of the things that God did when he created us was he gave us what, what I call, what theologians would call a free will. A free will at least as it re, you know, pertains to your salvation. God uh, gave us the ability to to choose, if you will. He wanted human beings, he wanted Adam and Eve to love him because we chose to love him. And so in the Garden of Eden, where the man and the woman were first created, he set up something really interesting. He put a tree in the middle of this garden and he said, Adam, Eve, Man, as far as the eye can see, it's all yours. Enjoy it. Take advantage of it all. But there is one tree, just one tree. I I don't want you to eat from that one tree. In other words, God wanted Adam and Eve to to make the choice to love him, to make the choice to honor him, to make the choice to worship him. And so there was this tree. The second thing I want you to understand is not only were you created Imago Day, not only were you created in God's image, but something really crummy is going to happen. The image gets marred. You've been stained by sin. Look at uh, what it says in Genesis chapter 3. It says, now the serpent or the devil was more crafty than any wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And a little side note, the method of operandi that Satan used here in Genesis 3 is the same method of operandi he uses today. His little bag of tricks hasn't changed. He's basically saying to the woman, really, did God really say that? And that's the trick he uses today. Really, did God really say that? Come on, that doesn't make any sense. Or, man, you really can't put all your trust in what he says, And so today in the American Christian church, it's really interesting to me. You got all these people running around saying they're believers, but they don't believe the scriptures. And I don't know how that works. There's a lot of things in our culture that I don't know how how they work. But certainly that's one of the things I don't get. How can you call yourself somebody who follows Christ and yet you're not following Christ in, in his word? But the story in Genesis 3 goes on. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat tree, uh, fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are gonna be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and I want to stop right there. A lot of people think that somehow Adam was, you know, out in the back forty, you know, picking berries. And he wasn't there. He was there. This is the first recorded moment of lack of male leadership in Scripture. (laughs) He's standing right there. He actually heard God say, Don't eat from that tree. And here's the serpent handing his wife a piece of fruit that he knows they're not supposed to eat. And instead of knocking it out of her hand and saying, honey, listen, this is gonna get ugly. Why don't you go inside the house for a minute while I make a pair of boots and a belt out of the serpent? He didn't do that. (laughs) He's just standing there like a lot of Christian men today. Allowing their families to go down these weird roads, these crazy roads or whatever it is. And the Bible says that the woman gave Adam this piece of fruit. And then there are three words in your Bible. I have to believe that all of heaven was gathered around, looking down at this pinhole on a map called Eden. All the angelic beings were wondering, what is Adam going to do? And there are three words in your Bible. And he Eight. Whoa. Some of you are so interested in the end times that you don't even know what happened in the beginning. The reason why there's an end times is because of those three words. And he The reason why we have such a messed up world today is because of those three words, and he ate. The reason why there's cancers and and rapes and murders and all these crummy things happening in our world today is because and he ate. Those three words caused a cataclysmic tsunami in our culture today. You see, we as Christians, men, we have an answer to the question of evil. Why is there evil? We know why there's evil. And he ate. Now, the world doesn't like our answer, but we have an answer as to why there's evil in the world. And he ate. In the New Testament, Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 5. He said, When Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. In other words, at that very moment that Adam sinned, at the very and by the way, God impugns sin not on the woman. He impugned sin on the man. Sin comes through the man. Which is why Jesus couldn't have a human father, by the way. just You can see how some of these things all interface, don't you? Sin comes through the seed of a man. And so throughout all of history, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, they had Cain and Abel. And we know the story there, right? You saw sin in the very first family. One brother kills another. Sin is just evident from the very beginning and from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. generation. When your mom and dad, whoever they were, got together, made love one night, and the seed of a man and the egg of a woman got together, guess what? You were conceived in sin all because of what Adam did, all because of and he ate, We're all conceived in sin. We're born in sin. And I know some of you mothers are out there thinking, oh, you don't know my grandson, Pastor Rick. He's a little angel. No, he's not. He's not a little angel. (laughs) Take your little angel who's 15, 16 months old and put another little angel in a room all together, just the two of them, and put one ball in the room. You will see sin. You will see sin. It's there. All of us have been impacted by this thing called sin. At the very moment that Adam ate, the imago Day was stained. The image of God was marred. And once the image was stained and marred, the fellowship between man and God was no more was messed up. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter three, for we've all sinned and we're right, we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard, every single one of us, because of and he ate, because of what happened in Genesis three. The great prophet Isaiah basically says the same thing. He says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. And that's exactly what Adam did, right? Hey, God said, here's the path. Stay away from that tree. All the rest of it is yours. And Adam strayed away from the path of God and went right for the tree. Sounds a little bit like children, doesn't it? Don't do that. That's the very first thing they want to do. Exactly what you tell them not to do. We've all left God's paths. All of us. And, and, And Jesus followed our own. Even when those paths are just nutty, just crazy, just make no sense whatsoever. Proverbs chapter 20 says, who can say I've kept my heart pure and I'm clean and without sin? (laughs) The answer is nobody. Nobody can. Sin has impacted all of us. Now, don't misunderstand. There are some people that are more evil than others. Okay, There's no doubt about that. There are some people who are just more evil than others. You know, uh, Hitler was more evil than than you, hopefully. You know, know, Charlie Manson was more evil. Jeffrey Dahmer was more evil. Stalin was more evil. I get it. But we don't look at those people and say, well, I'm not as evil as that guy, so I'm, I'm golden. No, we're all evil. That's the message of the Bible. We've all sinned. We've all blown it. We've all made mistakes. The great prophet Jeremiah said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You see, the reason why the world is so messed up is because the human heart is so messed up. The reason why human beings can do some of the the vilest, evilest things to one another is because the human heart is so messed up. Anytime you pick up the Modesto B or whatever it is you read, I don't know, and you see all the crummy things that are happening in our world today, maybe happen to your neighbor, maybe even happen to your own life and family, it's because the human heart is just messed up because of, and he ate. It all comes back to those three words. Sin broke the beautiful relationship we had with God, but it it gets worse. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah said. He said, can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? (laughs) No. Uh, Can a leopard take away its spots? No. Neither can you start doing good, for you've always done what's evil. In other words, you can't change the implications of those three words, and he ate. You can't do it. You can't do enough good things to change what sin had done to you. Remember, I'm answering the question, how was someone saved from their sin? Just helping us have an underpinning to, to, to the question. Job asked maybe one of the most important questions you could ever ask, it's a great question, but how can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? In other words, Job is saying, God, because you're so great and you're so awesome and you're so holy and you're so righteous, how in the world can I as a human being, can you as a human being who have been impacted because of sin, How can we ever hang out with you? How can we ever have fellowship with you? How can we ever be, you know, you know, have a right standing with you again? That's a great question. Can it happen, God? Is it possible? And the answer is yes. It's absolutely possible. The grace of God can transform any life or any heart. Listen, listen. To these sacred words. Today, in the town of David, town of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born for you. Whoa, whoa. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, right? And he Eight, the image is marred, but God so loved us because we're made in his image all throughout the Old Testament, all 39 books in that Old Testament, right? Matthew, or, or, or Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, all the way to Malachi was the story of God saying, I'm gonna send a savior. I'm gonna send a Messiah. The Imago Day was marred. But I'm going to take care of that. And so for 39 books, it's all the story about Jesus. Jesus is coming. Now, they didn't know his name was Jesus, but the Messiah is coming. And then Malachi ends. There's about 400 years of silence where God doesn't say a word through any prophets or anything. And then today when the town Savior's been born. Let me tell you something. Nothing wrong putting a tree up. Nothing wrong putting wreaths up. Nothing wrong sending out Hallmark cards or putting lights on your house. Nothing wrong getting presents and putting up nativity scenes and all those things. But for a follower of Jesus Christ, for a disciple of Jesus Christ, men, man, your home better be more than that. It ain't about a tree and a wreath. It ain't about a a present. It ain't about a stocking. It ain't about any of those things. Those are all fine and dandy. I got them in my home. But you, as a man, better make sure your family understands what this season represents. This is about the fact that we were dead in our sins. The Imago day was ruined, was marred, and we were lost. God showed up. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born for me. Matthew says this Jesus or she, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Why Jesus? Because he will save his people from the effects of, and he ate. He'll be the one. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God that's gonna take away the sins of the world. After, and he ate, Adam and Eve do their best to try to take care of the guilt that sin brought. You know, they made fig leaves and put them all in the right spots, and God shows up, and that didn't work, obviously, and God gives us a foretaste of what's to happen right there. All of a sudden, he says, hey, here are some animal skins. And the only way you got animal skins is there's blood somewhere. An animal shed his blood. There was a blood sacrifice so that Adam and Eve could have all the skins in all the right places. And now, all this time later, the perfect lamb of God has now shed his blood. Man, you, you, you get a taste of what's gonna happen 3,000 years later right there in Genesis when God kills an animal so that Adam and Eve can have skins to wear. Yes, Adam messed up, but God sent his son to clean up the mess Our brother John pinned these words in John chapter one. He said, he, that's Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed... all who accepted him all who put their trust in him all who bowed the knee to him and repented of their sin and said oh god i'm sorry for the sin in my life the sin that's broken our relationship god i give my life over to you he gave those people the right to become children of god they they are reborn Not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. In other words, we've all been born once, right? Your mom and dad got together. The sperm and the egg got together. Nine months later, there you were. You've already been born once. You were born physically, but you were born in sin. Not that the very act of your mom and dad, you know, Making love was sinful, that's not that's not what it means. It just means that in the genetic makeup, in your genetic makeup, whether you were gonna be white or black, or whether you were gonna be tall or short, or whether you're gonna have blue eyes or you know, green eyes, the genetic code was there for all of that, but it was also just in your DNA that you were sinful. So there had to be another kind of birth. This birth had nothing to do with your mom and dad. This birth had to do with you surrendering to the very God who put you together inside your mother's womb, who made you Imago Dei, who made you in his image. You see? Those, now you're a part of God's family because of your belief in the Messiah. So let me get back to my original question How is a person saved from the consequence of sin? Well, the answer is a person is saved when they repent of their sin and and, and they, they believe. I believe. I get it. I know what sin has done and I surrender my life over to you, Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. I give my life to you. Some of you know this, and i, I got to do this pretty, pretty quick. Um, so I grew up here in Modesto. I went to Fremont Elementary School, you know, Roosevelt Junior High, uh, Grace M. Davis, you know, went to the J.C. And I didn't know the Lord, and I was just lost. Mom and dad divorced and I was a kid, and that caused a lot of pain and heartache and sorrow in my life. Okay. I lived with my mom, and she did the best she could to raise a kid that was pretty... I was a load. Okay, they call it ADHD now. I was just, we didn't have that word. It was, I was just hyper. I just amped up, like all the time. And um, when I got into high school, my mom basically wasn't around a whole lot. So I had my home all to myself. I was it. And I'm, 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 going pretty quick here. Uh, all of a sudden, I started drinking beers and stuff. I had some neighbor kids, and we'd get together and drink beer. And I remember the first time I got drunk, I thought, wow, this is fantastic. <laughs> you know why? It numbed the pain of my life. I wasn't drinking because I liked the taste of alcohol. I was drinking because, man, if I got enough in me, whew, it, it numbed the pain. And I kind of liked that. By the time I graduated from high school, it wasn't just alcohol and hard alcohol, but I was smoking weed and snorting coke and eating mushrooms. You, you name it, I was on it. I was now breaking into neighbors' homes and just so I can get their alcohol and, and party with my friends. And, but if you'd have seen me at Davis, I looked pretty good. I mean, my mom always bought me good clothes down at Mervin's. I had a Mervin's mom. Some of you don't even know what Mervin's is. And so I always had nice clothes, you know. And so I looked good. On the outward, and I'd go, and my teachers, you know, you look good, you look fine. I play sports, I look good, I look fine. But inside, I was just dead, just dead, messed up. I was so messed up, it was unbelievable. Didn't know anything about Jesus. Graduated from high school, and things were really, really, I I was in a dark, dark, dark place, a dark valley, depressed, like you couldn't believe, just crazy. And uh, there was a guy at uh, uh, Davis High School around a a Christian club, his name was George Brown. He used to sit right back there, him and his wife, Carmen. He wasn't married to Carmen at the time, but he ran this club on campus, and I was out of high school, and I called him, and I said, man, George, my my life's a mess. Are you still doing that Jesus thing? Because I didn't know what it was. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I do the Jesus thing. Okay, well, can we get together? And I don't know, talk about the Jesus thing, because I'm thinking, well, if the Jesus thing really doesn't work, then... I'll take whatever the step is I need to take. He said, Yeah, I'll pick you up. And he picked me up, and we went to a Bible study. It was a Big Valley Grace Bible study out on Chenault Avenue, kind of way out there. You know, it's really not that far out anymore. But um, we got there, and I had a Bible. I didn't want to feel like a dumb guy, so I had my Bible. And I went walking into the house, like I, you know, praise the Lord, Jesus is number one, let's take an offering. Any cliche you could think of, I was saying, because I didn't want to be embarrassed, like I wanted everybody to think I knew, you know, you know, Jesus. And there were all these college kids in there, and some of them are in this room right now. They'll be in the room next hour. They were in the room last night, some of them were there, they remember. And I show up, and are we going to pray, what are we going to do? I mean, I'm just, I'm just... I'm so nervous, I don't even know what I'm doing. Bob Marks was leading a Bible study. Some of you remember Bob Marks? I actually sat next to this really, really pretty blonde back then. Her name was Cindy. I can't remember what her maiden name was, but she ends up marrying Bob and she becomes Cindy Marks, one of our school board representatives a long time ago. They're still great friends of mine. Bob was teaching a Bible study on angels. Still remember. And and it was just something was happening. Went home that night, went back the following Tuesday. It was like in February. I went home that night. I'm laying in my backyard. It was literally raining, and I'm laying on a lounger in my my backyard, and I said, God, listen, man, I get this whole sin thing. I wouldn't have called it sin. I've been so evil. I've been so wicked. I've done so many crummy things and said so many crummy things, things that I'd be embarrassed to tell you about, really, frankly. I don't want you to know about some of the things I did. Don't. By the way, I don't want to know the things you did. Because <laughs> if I knew all the things you did, I wouldn't want to preach to you. Okay, so that's, a, that's another message. Um, and I just rained. I said, God, I want you to come into my life and cleanse me of my sin, and I'll do whatever you want with my one life. Now, I thought that when God came into your life, because that's what they said, you know, you invite God into your life, and he actually comes into your life. God! God comes into your life, something physiological has to happen, right? I've had bad linguine I ate and it did something to me, physiologically. (laughs) So if God came into your life, and I remember, I was laying out there, "Mm, okay, God, come in, and I thought, I don't, boom, my kidneys would blow. You know, my spleen would, "Ah!" I, I am not kidding you. I thought that was the one thing that I didn't tell you about, man, when God came into your life. Let me tell you, it's a little painful, okay? But you'll get over it. And, you know, nothing happened. I didn't, my spleen didn't blow. My eyeballs didn't bulge out. But you know what? I had a peace. And I'm gonna be honest with you. It was a peace much like I got when I was Loaded. I can't believe the preacher just said that. It, it, it's true. The difference was, I was still in my right mind. And that peace was available to me at any moment. And I wasn't going to end up by a toilet at the end of the night, throwing up all the stuff that gave me the peace that I, that false peace, you see. But I had a peace. Radically changed my life. And it all happened the moment I repented of my sin and believed. You all have a story like that. You all have a story of when the grace of God came into your life and transformation started to happen. You see, because I was born and raised in this town, some of you uh, remember when... We went to high school together. You would say, yeah, yeah, something happened to that guy. (laughs) He ain't the same guy anymore. The grace of God has transformed my life. I'm not perfect, oh man. I'm still in need of God's grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. No doubt about that. But you all have a story. That's why... My wife and I put it at the stake up. My wife has a story. This is a house that has a story. My house has a story of the grace of God showing up and doing something miraculous in our lives. Do you see? And you ought to be able to articulate your, your story. Now, here's the weird thing, and this is how I'm gonna land the plane, okay? The weird thing is, at the moment I gave my life to Christ, at the moment I believed, why didn't he take me to heaven? What am I doing here 40 years later? What are you doing here? What's the point? What's the purpose? I mean, we're going there someday anyway, right? Right? Wouldn't a good father want to get us out of this crappy, crummy, evil, wicked world and just get us to heaven? Why does he leave you here? Why are you here? That's a good question. I don't have time to give you all the stuff, but I'm going to give you one. Give you a couple things. So what now? What, what's, what, what's God want to do with your life now? Well, I can tell you this. The first one is, is that Jesus wants you to be a person that knows and understands and lives out the scriptures. And I I gave you three things there because they're all different. Know, understand, and live out. My daughter, my oldest daughter, sitting right back there, Megan, I love her deeply. I'm gonna gonna tell a story about her. Let me tell you the difference between know and understanding. When she was a baby, think about when you had children. Uh, We had a, a stove in our kitchen. And it was one of those ones that was electric and it had little circles around it. It looked like red licorice. And I can remember when Megan got to the age where she could walk, uh, she was a lot like me. She was a load, a lot of energy. And I can remember her going and walking towards the kitchen and she's reaching up to the hot burners. And I can remember her mother and I say, no, don't 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 touch that. Don't go near the hot burners. And you know, we'd put her back in the living room or whatever, and sure enough, you know, once you say that, then you're doomed. And you know, they're walking right back in. She's walking right back in. For, no, no, we're not gonna go, we're not gonna go in there. Don't touch that thing. And there comes a, a, a moment when, you know, dad picked her up and said, No, I'm not goofing around. I don't want you touching that thing. And obviously, you change your tone a little bit and get a little swat on the tush. Uh, Oh, she finally got it. She had some knowledge. Don't touch that thing. She had no understanding. She didn't know why she wasn't supposed to touch it. She just knew if she did, dad's tone would change and this was gonna happen. And so... I she just had the knowledge don't touch that thing. And sometimes knowledge is good enough. But what's better is, is that you now have understanding. Oh, I know why I'm not supposed to touch that. It's hot and I'll burn my hands. Yes. See the difference between knowledge and understanding? God, at some level, doesn't care whether you understand some things. He said, X, Y, and Z. Do it, whether you understand it or not. may not make any sense to you, it didn't make any sense to my daughter, Megan, that she couldn't touch that thing. That doesn't make any sense to me. It looks good. It looks like licorice. I want it. It did make sense to her. But I know something she didn't know. I had a few more miles on my odometer of life than she did, and it didn't matter to me whether she understood it. What mattered to me is that she just did it. There came a moment when she did and for some of you, it's okay if you don't understand why God sends something. It's okay. Just get the knowledge and do, do it. But God wants us to not just know, but He wants, oh, I understand that. I I get it. But you know, you can know something and live it out. You can know something and understand something and not live it out. God wants you to know him. He wants you to understand it, but he also wants you then to live it out. Make sense? It's not just I know something. Big deal. The demons know a lot. The demons know a whole lot more than you. The demons understand a whole lot more than you and me. God wants us to know, understand, and then live it out. It's why, it's why we have all you know, men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies and CR Bible studies and home Bible studies. Our children right now are listening, learning Bible studies. The whole reason why we're learning all this Bible stuff is because we want people to know and we want them to grow to the point to where they understand and then they live it out. And the reason why we're to live it out is I'm gonna drop to number three, okay? And that is Jesus wants you to be a person that influences others. You don't influence anybody if you know and you don't live it out. You don't influence anybody if you know and you understand and you don't live it out. You only influence people when you know and you understand and then you live it out. You're still here. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He said, you're the salt of the earth. You're it. You're, 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 you're the light of the world. You, you don't take your light and stick it under a you know, barrel so nobody can see it. No. God wants you to be salt and light in such a way that they see your good deeds They see you living it out and they bring honor and glory to God. God wants you to use your life to influence others just like there were people in my life who influenced me. God wants you to be an influencer and we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, more, more about it. In fact, look at our banner up there. Jesus said, love your neighbor, and I I love what Pastor Joel did. He helped us go, hey, look, um, instead of arguing about who's our neighbor, let's just do this. How about you love your actual neighbor? Oh, oh, I love that. I think Jesus wants us to love our neighbor. Let, Let me tweak that if I could might help you understand, well, love, what does that mean? How about this? Influence your actual neighbor. Ah, that's a different word, isn't it? That somehow, as you put this stake up in your yard, and it says, I want you to know, and by the way, it's cool to drive around and see all the stakes in your yards and whatever, but man, Man, the grace of God transformed my life. It transformed, you know, my, my wife's life. It's transformed my, my daughter's life, my son's life. Wow, this is a house where the grace of God has transformed lives, but also, God, I'm still here. And now, somehow, some way, I want to influence my actual neighbors. Now, that doesn't mean you can't influence the person you golf with or the person you play tennis with or the person in the cubicle next to you at work, or whatever it is. But certainly that we would be very, very cognitive of the fact that the lost world is out there, and God says, I didn't take you to heaven because I I got something I want you to do. I want you to know and, and understand and live out the scripture so you can be salt and light wherever you are. I love what G. Campbell Morgan said about this passage. He said, Jesus, looking out over the multitudes of his day, saw the corruption, the disintegration of life at every point, its breakup, its spoilization, and because of his love of the multitudes, because they were made, imago Dei, he knew the things they needed Most was salt in order that the corruption should be arrested. He saw them also wrapped up in gloom, sitting in darkness, groping amid mists and fogs. He knew that they needed, above everything else, light. I just love that. Great theologian, by the way. And I think that's the takeaway in this first lesson on believe, and we'll do another one next week on believe, and then we'll have two messages on influence, and then we'll have two messages on win, and two messages on equipping, and two messages on multiplication. But it all starts when you believe. You believe. I want you to stand, I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna end with a song here, or just a chorus of a song. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had to be together. I just, I just really, just really dig this time. And, God, may this song just be a great way to kind of put the capstone on our morning here. And I pray this in your name. Amen.